Hi, I'm Madonna. I'm your worst nightmare. To rule the world. Why don't you show them what you do, honey? You've never had more fun with anyone else. People, people, we gotta move on to the next song. Somewhere sweet, and I'm a bitch. You know what I mean? And that's always been the way it is. I'm, I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm waiting. Hi, everyone. I'm Donna Delory, and you're listening to MLVC, the Madonna Podcast. And hey, guys, it's Tony. It's a big world. It must be Sunday somewhere. Hey, Stefan. Hey, everybody. Hi, Tony. Hi, Donna. It's Stefan. Welcome to another Hi. episode of MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone. And as you just heard, our special guest is none other than Donna Delury herself. Donna, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here with you guys. And I'm so welcome, happy Donna. that I got my computer working. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is How a is- big thrill. I, kn- I know that all of our listeners are very excited to hear um us speak to you. So thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I was really looking forward to this. How is everything in California during these crazy days? You know, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm very grateful. I have to say, you know, those first two weeks that we were quarantined, I mean, I had been out and about, you know, doing my thing, going to the store and everything and being with a lot of people. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but those first two weeks, it was like, Do I feel something in my throat? Oh, totally. You know, it's like everyone, we were all so paranoid. My daughter got a fever one day and I'm like, oh boy, you know, and it was very stressful those first two weeks. But after that, now I feel like, okay, I just have to be cool Mm -hmm. and stay in. And we go, I go out on a walk or on a hike, you know, try to get out every day. So that's really helping me trying to get into our guest house and make music. I've been working on the piano a lot. And it's really funny because I wanted to work on a meditation CD, but for the last few months, I've been trying to get myself into that space of really going within and um, getting to that softer kind of side where it's more around me around the piano, Hmm. me with the harmonium, you know, very personal inward. And sure enough, here I am, (laughs) you know, this, the whole situation has really uh, brought me deeper into that place. So I'm just, I'm just going with it and I'm just, you know, praying for everyone. And, and I know out of all of this, as tragic as it is, I believe that good is going to come out of it. And, um, and I just keep, you know, I just keep staying positive. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to personally thank you. Your music has been beautiful to listen to over the last couple of weeks. It's that thank goodness for the internet. If it mm-hmm. wasn't for social media and the internet, I don't know what we'd be doing during this time staring at four walls, but it's been so lovely true. to be able to go on and hear some of your music that you've been posting. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. Oh, you're yeah. Welcome. I was doing deep dives into Donna Delory's discography, but not only that, we, you know, we had um, Bright Light, Bright Light single released. And oh, it's that so was great. Like, so, so good. You good. and Nikki sound amazing. And so relevant for this time yes. right now. Mm-hmm. Just in going back to what I was just saying, um, it's like ultimately, no matter where we are, we have to find that strength and that security in ourselves, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation. So um, I just love the way he, his artistry and how he celebrates life. And he's just, he's a bright light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely you know? is. He introduced Nikki and I at um, Come On Everybody. And he was just so, we had just done the day before, we just done our rehearsal. Uh, at a 
at a rehearsal studio in New York City and he showed up with his laptop to record the vocals for that song. And I'd never met him. We'd only spoken on the phone. And just right away when he came to us and asked us to sing on it, just through email, I just could feel mm-hmm. what, a, what a good person he was. And I was like, yes, called Nikki. I'm like, we have to do this, Nikki. So, <laughs> <laughs> we got to do it. And yes. um, so it, it was really quick, but he was just so generous to introduce us at our mm-hmm. at our event. And it just made us feel so much more welcome and at home. And Nikki and I are, we're just starting to kind of do our own shows and everything. So we really appreciate him and the community and, you know, thank you for being so interested in us. That yeah, was we a were fantastic both show. Yeah, yeah, it was, we were both there and it was absolutely, it was one of those things where I, the, the giddy 15 year old me who was <laughs> at Blonde Ambition tour loving the songs and whatnot. I was so excited to go there because it was not just reliving that time period, but sort of evolving that, you know, like you, you and Nikki have both grown since that. And obviously everyone who was there has grown since then. And so it was really, really wonderful to, you know, be a part of that energy. The energy was fantastic. Even though it was hot as anything in that venue, (laughs) it was absolutely wonderful to be part of that energy that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It's such a great memory. And especially now, as I'm looking back, I'm going through my phone, all my videos, you know, mm. of like, I was with people this last <laughs> year. And it's like, you can't believe how we were all like hugging and hanging out so close. And it it's so unbelievable, the contrast of where we are now. Mm-hmm. And it just makes us appreciate that that closeness and how we all hung out afterwards for so long. And, and I'm just, I'm so thankful. And I'm that I have that memory now and that to hold on to, to look forward to for when we all get back out in the world together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it will happen. So Stefan, yes. before we go any further, why don't you introduce Donna to our listeners that maybe are not so familiar with her work? Yes. If there's anyone who's listening and, and didn't grow up with Donna as a institution in their lives, uh, <laughs> we just wanted to give a little bit of back, little bit of background. Donna Delory provided backup singing and dancing for Madonna on six of her iconic tours. Who's that girl? Blonde Ambition, The Girly Show, Drown World, Reinvention, and Confessions. Since A lot then, of different she- hairstyles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Since then, she's been releasing her own solo music and also recently collaborated with tour mate and friend Nikki Harris uh, for songs and stories, as we just talked about, as well as doing back backing vocals for the new Bright Light, Bright Light single, This Was Our House. Her new single, released on April 16th, which should be the day that you're listening to this podcast, is titled Diamonds in the Sun, We Shine. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ground that we can talk about. I, uh, Tony, why don't you kick us off? All right. Well, I mean, while we just mentioned the single, let's talk about your new single and um, everything that's going to come after that new single. Yeah, well, I've... I've been working on so much music and another song that's going to come after that is me uh, kind of re recreating just a dream. Uh, That was my Mm. first, that was from, that was a song that Madonna wrote. There's a whole story around it, but it was from my first solo album, which is not available anywhere. I mean, oh, it's it's here in my house. I have a CD. Right, right. You have, (laughs) but honestly it's available like on eBay for Mm -hmm. like used copies and it's not out anywhere. So I've been like slowly like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I don't have the right to release it on my own really. So I'm going to just keep re-recording the songs one by one 
mm-hmm. and put them on different kind of, you know, EPs or albums. So I'd re-recorded Praying for Love, and now I've re-recorded Just a Dream. I had to, I, I got together with my band and I had to really, I wanted to change it. I wanted to make it more like fitting in with my music. Now my singer songwriter music, um, more like what I was doing on here in heaven and just a lot of songs that I write. Mm-hmm. So we really, I feel really, it's still pop and it's still, it still, it, the melody is still the same, but we kind of reharmonized the chords yeah. And we slowed down the BPM because the BPM was so fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you know, she didn't, what I had heard from her and, you know, since then, um, just some things I'd read about the song were that she loved the song, but it was so, it was the same BPM and same kind of sound as Till Death Do Us Part oh, on mm. for Like a Prayer. And her and Pat, they wrote a lot of songs, not, they didn't have so many extras, but when she had heard what I was doing and she knew my voice and everything, she thought, cause I wanted to do more kind of rock pop rock. Mm-hmm. And she thought the song would be perfect. So she'd given it to me way back when, and then I got to like use her background vocals and, and it was super cool. So this time I'm doing my own backgrounds on yeah. the song. And so I'll be mixing that soon. And it's, and it's for an EP. So I've been working on that. And, um, you know, because of all of this, I can't be in the same room with somebody and I usually need to work with an engineer. So I'm, I'm trying to do all this stuff on my own in the studio, which is really funny because sometimes (laughs) like I get rid of stuff and I'm like, oops, you know, oops, delete. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, well, there goes the vocal. But um, necessity is the mother of invention. I know. And it's really the time because if I had, if I could sit here and learn everything, but mm-hmm. I also, I love to listen. I love to have a relationship with music where it's not staring at waveforms. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. I, I like to stay in this emotional feeling space and I don't want to, and I know that's like an excuse for my resistance to being too technical and everything, but I don't know. I just don't, I want my engineers to have that. And then I have something different as a producer and as a mm-hmm. writer and composer. And and I, plus, I don't want to be sitting in front of a computer for hours and hours, you know, like making a drum loop, stuff like that. So <laughs> it's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, so I've, I'm trying to work my way around that and finish that EP. But I've really been working on this uh, meditation record where I just, just when I'm feeling, I have the mics all yeah. set up and I'll go into the, and put down a piano track. Then I'll put down a vocal track. And then I put down some percussion. And then and so I'm doing everything on my own which that kind of music can lend itself more to just me doing my own thing. And then I'll, when we all get out in the world again, when we're free, I'm going <laughs> to go in with a, with an arranger, a string section and do like the lush strings Oh, nice! and things like that. That'll to make fill it, it out. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I don't, you know, it's like when I'm getting a massage and I listen to music that I love, um, I have certain records I love. They're not necessarily like new age, mm-hmm. but 
I, I want to make this lush, beautiful, relaxing, ambient record where they're layering my voice and with lots of just beautiful, beautiful textures that doesn't necessarily fit in any genre, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's calming. And it's also people can use it for healing, relaxation, yoga, meditation, and all that. So, so that's something that's going to come out later in the year. And as well, I know this is a long-winded answer, but no, not at all. Tons of remixes that um, I've put out remixes as singles from my album here in heaven. Mm-hmm. There's many and bonus tracks that have never been put out, so that's all going to come out on a compilation. And I'm getting um, the remixers to like turn in their remixes now and all that. So no, nice. this is so exciting. We love the remixes. So thank you. Obviously, you know your way around a studio, and you grew up in a musical family, and also you've been working professionally in music since you were young. I mean, I mm-hmm. was so impressed to read that you were in the children's chorus for Sing with the Carpenters, and then also in It's a Small World for Disney. What was it like? Um, as a young child, you know, loving to sing and going in and, and being a professional, you know, and, and these are projects that are still heard every day, no matter what's going on, you know? It's pretty amazing. You know, my, it was actually my sister who sang on that record, Sing, mm-hmm. and she was eight years older than me. So she started doing it, obviously, way before me. Mm-hmm. But she'd go and do movies. I think she did a film I think it was called Lost Horizons. Like she'd go and sing on these things. And between like being in the studio with my dad and knowing, knowing that my dad was like a well-known producer mm-hmm. and but more than that, just being around my dad playing the piano and just being having music around us all the time. Then my sister started doing it. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I've got to do this. But I was so little. We would sit there at my sister's voice lessons and I'd be in the other room listening to her. Nee, 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 nee. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like I can't wait to do this. And I knew it was for me, and I just kind of had to wait till I was old enough um, to where my, I guess my dad felt like, okay, you know, enough singing along with the radio and everything. You can go and audition for this man who was like the big vocal contractor in Hollywood, in LA. His name is Jimmy Joyce, and he hired all the singers. All, you know, and he had a kids group because a lot of people wanted kids for commercials and movies and everything. So I, I'll never forget. I went to his house in the Hollywood Hills. I remember like the light blue shag carpeting, velvet <laughs> furniture. I mean, it was like right when I walked in, I was so shy and I was so scared. And I auditioned somehow something came out because I was so painfully shy. And I probably was around eight years old. Mm-hmm. And he just, he really believed in me and he liked me. And he used to like, my chin was down at the ground and he would like push, he would push my head up and say, you know, I can't hear you. Let me hear you. And he just could feel my passion for it. And he hired me on a dog food commercial. So he really believed in me and then kept hiring me. And then his, um, he ended up passing away and his wife took over. But there were so many jobs that came up. It was like, Knott's Berry Farm, Disneyland Records. Uh, it was so much fun, you guys, to be in school. And like that little pink slip comes in the class. <laughs> and that slip would come in and my teacher's like looking at it. Donna Delory, please get your things. You're going to be <laughs> away for a week. You know, get your materials to prepare. And so I'd get to be like, you know. A working school, girl. <laughs> school to the studio, running around like CBS Studios. 
or NBC. And like, we would run in and out of soundstage and look at all the shows that were going on. And we do like specials where we'd be like the kid group and the special. And, and anyway, it was, it was so amazing. I mean, how could I ever think I was going to do anything else? Yeah. You know, and I'm sure if, if something like kids bop was around back then, you probably would have been (laughs) the star of kids bop. I wish I, you know, uh, yeah, I wish my mom, like I used to beg her to take me to the auditions for Annie. And my mom was like, my mom had her issues because her mom moved her to Hollywood when she was a teenager to try to make her a star. So my mom was really like not into pushing me. And I don't know, my mom just didn't want to do that. She was more like grow up. And if that's what you want to do when you grow up. Yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, when you're older and you look back, it's like, why didn't you make me play piano? You know, why didn't you make me practice more? Why didn't you take me to this audition? (laughs) And Molly Ringwald was like the one that was in all that stuff. So I was always like, oh, Um, (laughs) I just those were my parents and they weren't going to push me. I mean, they would they would just take us to those jobs and pick us up when we were done. Um, But but then. I ended up being, you know, a teenager and still getting those jobs, but I had to look like a little kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, and no. I had to literally, you guys, when I was 16 and I had like raging hormones and we'd go into these <laughs> sessions and there was like the cutest, like the cutest assistant engineer in the session. And here I am 16 with like ponytails <laughs> and I had to wear like overalls and ponytails because they had to think I was younger and, um, right, and 16 like, playing 12. Yes, absolutely. That was, that's what you had to do. And, and I, it's so funny. I'd be like trying to talk to the assistant engineer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really 16. He's like, go away, little girl. <laughs> What's your number? <laughs> He's just trying not to get arrested. Yeah. Right. No, he was really young too. There was one that I remember a Kim Carnes record that I sang on and, um, it was just so funny, you know? Uh, just some of these memories, but I ended up moving to Nashville at that time and, and being like trying to be a, a pop artist in Nashville was nearly, which was nearly impossible at that time. So I had to, I had to go back to Hollywood and start um, sleeping on studio couches, literally, <laughs> and like be there when the producer walked out. So I could be like, can I sing on this record? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so yeah. you mentioned you mentioned Kim Carnes. I'm curious, like, what other musical influences did you have growing up? You know, did were you listening to the Carpenters, or were you? Yes, I think I, I think pretty much everybody was listening to the Carpenters in the 70s. Yeah, it was required were, for 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys. I mean, her voice, Karen Carpenter's voice, was um, incomparable, mm-hmm. and yeah, I love the purity of her voice. There's so many things about people's voices that I couldn't, like Stevie Nicks. You know, I I, I didn't couldn't quite, I just, it just resonated with me and my voice, I could sing really well with Stevie Nicks. Like I could harmonize so well and blend with her. Um, it just, that's where I was when I was a kid and with my voice and, um, Linda Ronstadt, of course. Mm, oh yeah. Good call. But honestly, when Pat Benatar came out, you guys, cause I was always leaning kind of like country rock mm-hmm. growing up, you know, kind of rootsy with like maybe Joni Mitchell, like folky, rootsy, country rock. And, but uh, that's not mentioning my whole disco phase and everything, but, <laughs> but as, as for singers, right. When Pat Benatar came out and I was like 15 or 16, I was blown away by her. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the car with my dad 
listening to Heartbreaker. Hmm. Heartbreaker, dream maker, don't you mess around me. And her attitude and the way her voice sounded and the way she could sing like full voice really high, I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I want to be a rock singer. So that was that was that. And I got really into rock music. And uh, my dad, my dad, who wasn't like that kind of producer, he tried to produce me. Um, with those kind of tracks and he would write songs with his like older friends for me, which were like not quite there. Um, <laughs> was he more jazz influenced? No, he, he was more like, I mean, my dad came from like growing up playing the big bands oh, and okay. he was born in 1930 and he was like the child prodigy kid that was playing with the big bands. Cause my grandfather was a musician mm-hmm. and uh, was on Broadway and everything as a singer and, um, my dad was raised to be a musician playing piano. So he ended up getting into the whole session scene and was in Phil Spector's wrecking crew into that uh, tight group Mm -hmm. of uh, musicians that played on like all the famous records that came out. Like, yeah, the wall of sound, the wall of sound. So he's part of that. Then he went on to um, like play with the beach boys and he went on to be a producer at Capitol records. So he was like kind of, he was from obviously a different generation Mm -hmm. and he was trying to keep up, you know, in the seventies doing disco, he did some disco records and worked with Gladys Knight. And I used to go in and sing on the disco records and everything. (laughs) But he was trying to, you know, and then he supported me and he saw, he saw my passion and opportunity there to like write some songs in that vein. And Mm -hmm. I would go in and demo them. And then they'd put all the like delay on my voice and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Pat Benatar. And I would love hearing my voice back with all that effect and delay. And then we would shop the tape and I was like 15, you know, we'd shop it to record companies and it just didn't quite make it. Um, but anyway, it was a, it was a nice effort. And uh, looking back, it was, it was really fun that my dad was, we got to work together and everything. And yeah. Yeah. And it was so, it's just such a great thing that we could share. And mm-hmm. he knew like my sister wanted to be a singer and my brother as well. But my dad saw in me, like I was like an, going for like theater and school. My brother was too, but I was like in the talent shows. I was so like hungry for it and really begging my dad to, to like accompany me and to hire me on his and sing his demos and things. And I would go to his writing sessions and work out songs that he was writing. So he knew, I think he knew that I was going to do this and I had the, I had the determination to do it. So we, we just, we really shared that passion. It was a huge bond that we had. That's so great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, on your most recent album here in heaven, you wrote the song piano man for your father. I was going to bring this up since we're talking about it right now. Yeah. And there's a line that you wrote that says with my hands, you keep playing, which, um, you know, we think is a beautiful tribute to him is. Piano man with my hands, you keep playing. This piano, I sat beside you. You write your notes down and sing along. The greatest gift you ever gave to me was this beauty. I mean, you, you just mentioned, I mean, you know, your father was a huge musical influence, so that's is that why you, um, started playing piano and that's, you know, that's kind of like what, 
what put you on the right track to to become the musician that you are, right? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> there was always this upright piano in our house, and my parents were divorced, so it would in my mom's house. You walk in, and like right away is this little upright piano that my dad actually had done so many arrangements on and written songs on. Um, it was right there. So I started taking piano lessons and, um, you know, unfortunately, like I didn't have the discipline really. Like I was so into sports and it's kind of a tomboy and into gymnastics mm. and everything. And I'd so much just like to be outside all the time. And, and then I go to my house, my dad's house on the weekends and he'd be playing all the time. And he was an incredible musician. So I'd end up just kind of sitting next to him and humming along and just watch, just appreciating him and watching him do his, he'd be scoring a movie. So he'd have his scoring paper there and playing all the chords and writing the notes. And I just, I just thought early on, I'm like, okay, well, I'm a singer. He's the great piano player. And, but as I got older, I really, I think I didn't even try to be a musician because I thought I can never measure up to what my dad was and is. And, um, until, my dad passed. And when he passed, I stopped doing that to myself of thinking like, I'm not a good enough player, you know, and I'm really a singer. I thought I have all this music in me and absolutely. Like I mm -hmm. could sit down and my dad was a great arranger and a great string arranger. And I can, I can hear those notes and I can play those notes. And then idea, um, I don't know if you guys have lost a parent or, yeah. or friends, you know, of course, who are, especially when they had all this, everyone has so much inside of them, such stories of their mm -hmm. lives. Oh, my dad mm -hmm. had so much music inside of him. He could play any song from memory, right? He had such a skill, technique. Um, his, what he knew about musical music history, it was like, oh my gosh. I always like counted on my dad having that. Yeah. And I could just sit next to him and sing, and he would have all that and play. So it was this real realization when he passed because I was so upset. Where did that go? Where did that go? I would look at his hands. I was holding him when he when he passed, and his hands were just curled up. And, and those hands, that those beautiful hands that I used to watch playing the piano all the time, hmm. I was like, where's the music? Where mm -hmm. did it all go? And I started writing that piece. And one day I was like in the shower and I thought, I just heard that line. I just heard, with my hands, you keep playing, piano man. And that's really like to carry on for your, for your parents. Mm -hmm. And, and literally they, their cells are in you. Yeah. So on a scientific, you know, on that level, they are in you. Mm -hmm. And that it's just a really deep realization. So to to sit down at the piano now, I'm like, I feel my dad there with me mm -hmm. and I can feel his talent with me and in me and everything we shared. And then I can also just trust that like, okay, I'll hit some wrong notes here and there yeah. <laughs> because I didn't, I'm not thinking of like what key I'm in or anything. I'm just, I'm just letting my fingers move around, honestly, because I'm not that trained with the technique, but it's not going to stop me. Mm -hmm. And it's still in me. And, you know, I'm not sitting there with a music paper scoring a movie, but it's all in me. And there's that realization. And it's also like kind of feel a responsibility too to keep yeah, it going. It's, it's a musical legacy that, you know, you, 
I think you have a duty to keep putting out there, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And I have like, this is the piano. That song was really about this piano that my grandfather, who was a musician, gave to my grandmother for their wedding present. And this is the piano my dad learned on. And this is that piano that I used to sit next to him while he was scoring. And then I've just, you know, it's an old piano. It's over a hundred years old. It's heavy. When somebody comes and works on it, they're always like, you know, this piano. They're like, (laughs) no, those blow strings don't even work and everything. (laughs) And I ended up also getting my dad's Steinway when he passed, which I had in my room as well to play. And then I had two pianos and I ended up saying to my brother, A.D., A.D. DeLore, um, I was like, why don't you just, you just got to take this piano because it's more, it's a way better piano. It Mm. sounds so much better, but I really like this piano that was my dad's and my grandparents has been with me through when I was sleeping on those studio couches and wherever I lived, like some funky apartment somewhere. I managed to take that piano everywhere. Oh, bless your heart. I know moving, p- and moving pianos is not an easy thing. <laughs> no, I don't even know how I did it. I mean, I'd be living one time in a pool house. I lived in this house with like five girls. And I mean, and I always, I had the piano. So I'm so attached to it. So that song is about that. And I have it now here, of course, in my studio. And, um, and uh, on this record, it's so funny. I keep thinking I should go into like, some big studio when we all get out um, and record on like a Steinway or a Yamaha or something. And, but I, I just, I just, I don't know. So the sound of this piano is so personal for me. So you don't want to part from, from the sound that you feels yeah. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll see. I mean, I might do some just to have like some different, different sounds or I can go to uh, record on the Steinway that my, my brother has in his house. Yeah. So. so let's talk a little bit about how you started working with Miss Madonna. Um, I had read that you were responsible for the Open Your Heart demo. Can you sort of mm-hmm. talk, talk about that a little bit? I'm curious as to how that all came together. Okay. There was, there was a guy named Gardner Cole who was – I met on a demo session when I was just going and singing demos. I used to like – I used to charge $50, <laughs> okay? And people would, this was my life. And it's so funny because I lived right next door, My who was a good friend of mine, my next door neighbor was a prostitute and I was doing demos. So we'd both like go out for the day <laughs> and I'd go out, she'd do like three calls <laughs> or whatever and I'd do like my three demos. And we'd both be like driving all around town and, and even like I'd drive in the for $50, I would drive to like, who knows where it'd be like Palmdale or somewhere in the hill in the middle of nowhere where somebody has this little tiny four track studio and I'd show up and to, sometimes the song wasn't even written yet. And to get my $50 and get out of there, I had to help write the song. Oh, geez. And I was just like, I got to get my $50 so I could sing the song and get out of here, get to my next job. So I was on one of those jobs. I met this guy, Gardner Cole. He became my boyfriend and he was a songwriter and he was signed as an artist to Warner brothers. So he had all the songs he wrote. He'd written the song with another guy named Peter, Peter Raffelson. It's called open your heart. And he did his, he always put his voice cause he was an artist on Warner brothers and 
he put his voice on all his songs he wrote that they were trying to pitch to other artists. So they pitched it. His management was like also some somewhat connected with Madonna. The whole Warner Brothers, yeah. Simon, um, who was the guy who signed her? Uh, Seymour Stein. Seymour Stein. Yeah. That whole connection. So they got to you know they got it to those people. She turned it down. And, and I remember it was like, he thought it was a big shot for him. He thought he was like in there because he was an artist at Warner's. And then he had said to me, you know, I really, oh, I loved the song to begin with. And, and I think between the two of us, I was like, I can, I, I do demos all the time. I should sing this. So we went in, we worked on it. I remember for a long time and we changed melody to make it more for like my voice. Mm-hmm. And I, I changed some cert, you know, like I did. On the chorus, it was like, open your heart to me. And I would sing like, open your heart to me. Mm-hmm. You know, just little variations on the melody. And the bridge and everything. So we changed it. And then then he submitted it again. And then she wanted to do the song. So that in the meantime, that was like on my demo tape. I was running around trying to get a record deal myself. But then that song was out. <laughs> I was like, okay, Madonna's playing it. Oh, well. Thanks, Madonna. Thanks, Madonna. Take it off the demo tape. But I was like really attached to the song and I was trying to find other songs like it and everything. Um, so she did the song and I just went on doing more song, whatever, trying to get more songs on my demo mm-hmm. tape. Meanwhile, this guy named Bruce Geich had heard it, who he was also writing with Gardner Cole. He's, he's friend, an engineer too, right? Yeah, but he's yeah. he was one of the writers on Lysa Bonita. And he's oh, an okay. old friend of Pat Leonard's from Chicago and from the whole jingle scene because Pat Leonard was Madonna's producer mm-hmm. at the time, band leader and producer. Um, so I got introduced. So Bruce really believed in me. Like he loved my voice. He made sure that Pat hired me to work on. And, and Pat loved my voice from the Open Your Heart demo. Uh, he hired me to start working on all the records he was producing and all his demos. And I remember the first one was Jody Watley, that song, Most of All. Oh, I know mm. that like, song well. Mm-hmm. I need you most of all. Wow. So I did the demo on that. Same story as Open Your Heart. And then the Jody did it. Um, and then some other songs for other artists. And then it was just such a step up for me because I was like working at a publishing company. I might have had another job and I was doing all the demos and everything, barely making my rent you know mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like pat leonard is hiring me all the time to come in and sing on like carly simon's record fee wabel i sing a lot of backgrounds with richard marks mm-hmm. on all who this was also stuff. on true blue right exactly because yeah. of pat leonard and uh who else like uh, I, ray parker jr you know any artist pat works with I would go in and sing. So I was like, wow, I'm really like getting up there now in the session scene and everything. <laughs> and that was really great. He was like that, you know, once you get in with a big producer, it's a lot easier for you. Hmm. So then I heard about the tour coming up in 87. And, and I, from the very beginning, I was bugging him. I was like, Pat, you don't know this, but I'm also a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been training since I was a kid. And I was like, I did I mean, all through that's a whole other story. Like growing up doing disco competitions with my brother and practicing in the basement. And my brother was a major dancer. Hmm. And we used to, you know, I was really influenced by his dancing. 
and got into that. Uh, I danced in the clubs as a teenager and I danced on American Bandstand and everything. I was like, oh, nice. come on. you know, you got to like, get me in there. He said, no, no, no. She, she hired these girls from Little Shop of Horrors. She loved the concept. It was like three African-American singers who were maybe already on Broadway and they were a unit. And I was like, oh, you know, so that went on. They were starting rehearsals. I'd still go in and do sessions with him. And I kept bringing it up. And he's like, no, these girls are doing it. So one day I was at home. It was like, I remember it was a really hot day. And I got a call from him saying, what are you doing? <laughs> and when somebody like that calls you, and no matter what you're doing, you say nothing. Right. <laughs> you're like, oh, nothing. Why? So he said, well, uh, we're at SIR Studios, and um, one of these girls is not working out. We have to replace her right away. He's like, I don't know if Madonna's going to go for the concept of having, you know, of this, but I want you to come in. And I, I love your voice. I really want her to meet you and everything. And I was like, okay. So he said, I'll call you later with the time. And hung up the phone. I was in this, like, little apartment, North Hollywood, hot, hot day. I'm like sweating away. I have this like little wall unit air conditioner. And, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I got on the phone. I called a friend to do my makeup. I got clothes together. I got my hair done. I was like, okay, I'm meeting Madonna. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be, I've got to look good. <laughs> I got to warm up my, you know, I was like, I've got to be my best. And I waited and waited for hours. He finally calls me and he goes, no, she decided to do a really big uh, open call audition. Oh, so you have to come <laughs> and audition. The band's going to be there. You guys have to go and in whatever. So I, I show up at this rehearsal hall. There's all these singers, everyone I'd known in LA. I was like, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> you too. Okay. Hi. And everyone's all dressed up and everything. And we're up on this balcony and I'm looking down at the band and everything. And, and I'm like, where's Madonna? I don't see her. I mean, this is a, I hope you guys don't mind. This is a long version of the story. No, no. Go on, but go on. It's kind of interesting. So I'm like looking for like the girl from the material girl video. And, you know, I'm like looking down for the blonde and everything. And, and I don't see, I see this like a little person with a suit with short hair and like glasses. And I'm like, <laughs> where's Madonna? This is so weird, but I hear her voice. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Madonna. And she starts saying, come on, you guys, and, you know, let's get going and everything. And they decided somehow that they're going to bring us in groups of three. So they bring us to the stage. I go down there. And she was standing right next to me. And it was like, we're doing La Isla Bonita, which if you guys know those parts, ah, mm-hmm. ah, that's unison. Uh-huh. Okay, so... Three people that I haven't really, you know, two other people I haven't really sung with were singing in unison. And we have to be dead on the note. And it was hard. And I remember, like, I'm up there. You just jump on this rehearsal stage. You've not been on there. You've got two people who are, they were bigger than me. Like, I couldn't hear myself. I just remember, like, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster. (laughs) You know, I couldn't like plug my ears and hear myself. I was trying to look cool and everything. And Madonna stops the whole thing. And I don't know, she said something. Um, maybe it just wasn't going well or whatever. Well, Pat goes, maybe Pat Leonard, the producer, stopped. He goes, oh, okay, I want just Donna and Madonna to sing the bridge to La Bonita. Thank God I knew this song, you guys. 
(laughs) Because it was like, I had to do this quick. So we went to the bridge and it was like, I want to be where the sun fills the sky and that whole part. And Uh um, she's got her back to me. And at some point she says like, why aren't you singing? (laughs) And, and I don't, I mean, of course I've like exaggerated it over the years that she like yelled and I was Mm -hmm. like, whoa, you know, Madonna, but anything that would come out of her mouth, I'm sure it was just like, whoa, yeah, um, you're intimidating. Mm -hmm. So she said that. And, and I was just, of course, like, I didn't know what to say. Um, I'm like, I was singing, I promise. And so Pat's <laughs> just stepped up and he goes, Madonna, Donna was singing. He's like, I told you, you guys, your voices would blend perfectly. And she just, she was kind of stunned for a minute. And she, you know, just made some comment like, okay, well, will you sing on all my records? Uh. <laughs> It was really sweet. And and I was confused. I was like, do I have the job? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and so that, that went really well for me. But at the end of the day, I think we had to keep waiting around for people to do their auditions. And they, they were like, well, can you come back? So then I had to go back and dance. But some of the dancers were there. And I think it was Shabadoo was there. Yeah, it was Shabadoo. And just from growing up in the dance world and in clubs and everything, I just... I just knew the language and I could, I could relate with him. And I think right away that was apparent. Um, I, I went back and I started doing the dancing and everything. So they knew I could dance and pick it up. So her, you know, even when she wasn't there, like the dancers and the choreographer, Jeffrey Hornaday could, they could see that I could, I could do it. And I think it was like a time crunch to learn all this stuff. So that is how I met Madonna. And like, like a couple of days later, we were in the bathroom, like putting our lipstick on at the mirror and just ha- having girl talk. <laughs> and, you know, of course I was like pinching myself and it was just looking back now. Um, it, it was just such a whirlwind, you guys. Yeah. And it took me a while to like get used to it. But then when we got into this like hardcore work, and the rehearsing and everything, it, it really, it, I realized this is a job mm-hmm. and I just have to be my best. And, and then you, the, the person who you'd known as the star and everything just becomes a real person to you, somebody yeah. you work with every day. And then you just want to do your best work. And you, and the great thing about Madonna is she just lifts you to that place because she's such a great artist and, her discipline is off the charts and I'd never been around anyone like that. And she really brought, you know, she just makes you bring out the best in yourself and she demands that. So that was an, that was an amazing thing yeah. to uh, be lifted in that way and to see myself, my own artistry be lifted. We, you know, we want to talk about, life. we want to talk about the tours a little bit, but before that I want to, um, get more of a backstory of how you and Nikki met. I, I was one of those guys in the 80s that I read all the liner notes. So I was well aware of you because I listened to Belinda, I listened to Jody, Madonna. And then I'm listening to Martika's self-titled debut album and uh, More Than You Know, and there's mm-hmm. great backup vocals on there. And it's where I first saw both of you together. And it's very, very evident that it's both of you singing. And it just blew my mind. Is that where you guys met? And how did that um, initial meeting go, you know, 
I guess, develop to Blonde Ambition and then through the tours, et cetera, et cetera, you know, because you guys are still a duo. I know. I know. For life. Um, <laughs> she, it was 87, you know, a few weeks after I got in there replacing someone, another person didn't show up for rehearsal. And she started, she started kind of letting the director know that she might not want to do the tour. And I remember just thinking, what is she thinking? <laughs> well, is she crazy? Is she completely crazy? And, and I was like, oh my gosh. So we had to replace her. And there was another big audition. It was like, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was as big as the one I went to as far as singers, because we, it was so last minute, you guys, that they just needed to like put the right feelers out and have the right people recommend really great, great people to come in. So someone had recommended Nikki. She was in Vegas doing the Righteous Righteous Brothers show. Ooh. So she flew in. She has her own story about this. She was in a show. I mean, she left her hotel room and came to this audition. And I remember when she, there were some other people. When she walked in the door, her energy was so, <laughs> she was so spunky. She had so much energy and she, she was so cute I mean, she was just this beautiful girl and cute personality and spunky energy. And she was really funny, big personality. She could sing great and she could dance. So right away I was like, okay, she was the first person that could like, we could, we could hang together in this way. We could both do these dance moves. We could both, which was rare to find someone like that. So I was really impressed by her. Right away, she had this like banter with Madonna, um, and maybe it's because they were from—they were both from Michigan. Um, it was kind of like a, a sisterly thing, and so it was really great. I mean, it was a relief that we found somebody great. Um, she was—she made me laugh, um, and it was just—it was always—it's always so much fun with Nikki. Mm. Never a dull moment. So that's how we met her, and we. You know, because of the stress of the situation of her having to learn all this stuff so fast, you know, we we became, of course, we became friends and we really got to hang out during the tour after we started um, touring. And we used to lay on the floor in the private, oh, poor us, private airplane. I think it was like a, like a, a Sheik's airplane that was like gold, real gold faucets and in a bedroom and a shower, you know, bathroom with a shower and everything. And we'd be hanging on the floor, watching movies with, you know, eating popcorn. Oh my God. And her and I used to call each other pooters <laughs> and we're like pooters. We were like these little kids. Oh my gosh. Uh, we had all these private jokes between us and we used to do like, we both grew up watching a lot of I love Lucy. So we used to just, we had that kind of like uh, physical humor and, and we were we were characters together, and and we always cracked up Madonna. I mean, we could see some of that in Truth or Dare. I, a lot of times, I'm thinking when I watch that, like, God, I want to see more Nikki and Donna from the cutting room floor because I'm sure it's really funny. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You know, there was this one that one scene where we're in Spain, and we're. <sighs> They didn't show this whole thing, but we used to do like this thing called the Franny and Jenny Leibowitz show. And we were like, <laughs> we were like these like older 
girl, you know, women that sang in a nightclub in the Starlight Lounge. And we did Madonna covers. I'm obsessed. <laughs> oh, my God. And we were like the Franny and Jenny Leibowitz show. <laughs> and we did these accents and everything. And so we decided we were egged on by someone mm-hmm. at this private party. Pedro, how do you say his last Almodovar. name? Almodovar. Um, um, Almodovar. <laughs> yeah. Had this party for Madonna with all the stars of Spain. You know, it's in the movie. You guys, mm-hmm. that's that scene. With Antonio Banderas. Exactly. Yeah, and Lewis told so, us that uh, he was in drag at that party. <laughs> exactly. So we were all, oh my God, I'm sure we were like drinking and partying. Somebody tells us to get up and do the Franny and Jenny Leibowitz show. Oh my God. And we do some of, we were doing some of it on the boat when we were singing Like a Virgin. Oh, like right, right. That Nikki sang video. Like a Boygen. <laughs> like a Boygen and everything. So we get up, we don't even know that on display on this little stage was this very famous bullfighter's cape. We didn't even know. I mean, I think Nikki or I, I probably was Nikki. She like took it and put it around her and and to use it in our little Shan, uh, Franny and Jenny Leibowitz show. I think Nikki probably remembers this more, but I remember that it was like not respectful. <laughs> and this was like, they filmed all this in the movie, but it didn't make it. You don't remember seeing that, right? No. Um, yeah. So we did a lot of things like that. We were, were just like kind of cracking everyone up and Madonna was laughing. And now that I look back on it, it's like, we didn't quite know what we were doing, but that was all part of that movie. And we were just on top of the world and we were, you know, doing anything we wanted to do and not realizing, oh my gosh, just not realizing that that's a once in a lifetime mm-hmm. experience because really things that happen on that tour and, and thank God that was being filmed. Um, it never did happen again Mm-mm. with, I feel the way that we were all like a family well, it was also mm-hmm. way before social media, well before anyone had cell phones. You know, everyone was just sort of being present with each other. You were communicating with each other. It was all that you had. You know, nobody was tuning out on their cell phones or, you know, posting on Instagram. No, no, no. And we were all like, there was so much stuff that you guys don't even know. Like, we were all obsessed with the Truth or Dare game. We were all playing it all the time in our hotel rooms. And like, we had all made out with each other, <laughs> honestly, like everybody, um, because that was just our, you know, by the time that that scene was filmed in, you know, with Madonna with the bottle and everything, yeah. we'd been, we'd been getting like crazy with, with each other, you know, and we knew each other so well and everyone knew each other's business. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So honestly, like when you picked... When you pick truth, everyone knew your business. Like if people had were in relationships, you knew you were going to get asked those questions, and you were like being filmed. So you you had to be you had to always pick the dare. Right. You know what's funny? Out yourself. Um. So in the last couple weeks, they've been uh putting. I've been seeing memes on Instagram of uh, just a screenshot of Madonna with the bottle, and it says day twenty four quarantine. That is so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. So, that was, that was an opportunity that I couldn't resist asking her that question. Oh yeah. You know. Well, thank God you did. Right. <laughs> and she, she took advantage of the opportunity. All right. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm just curious. So recently Vogue celebrated 30 years, um, I, which was unbelievable to me. I could not believe the song had been out for that long. Yeah, it feels like it came out yesterday. <clears throat> and I remember that the first little sign of Vogue that we got to see was at the 89 VMAs, where I believe that was also the first time I, I had remembered seeing you and Nikki performing with Madonna. Um, and you sort of broke out a little bit of Vogue choreography. And then, of course, the following year at the VMAs was the famous uh, Victorian dress up of Vogue with the fans. And Lewis had told us that that was the, the when you performed the, the actual show on the VMAs live, that was the very first time that no one had dropped their fans. <laughs> no, exactly. You guys, I was so stressed. We did like a, it was an AIDS benefit. Um, like right after that, it was either before or after that. And I actually dropped my fan, <laughs> but it wasn't being like televised. And I remember, I mean, even Madonna felt bad for me, you know, it was like, well, somebody was going to do it, right. you know, and thank God it was not, <laughs> I was sweating that, oh my gosh, with everybody <laughs> watching you, you know, not only is the world watching you, but like every star that you love and admire is like watching you. So those were, it's pretty high stress. I mean, the concentration did, was incredible. Did you know when, I mean, because I always look back at that performance and say that was the first time the VMAs had ever seen a performance by an artist be so elevated. You know, people were performing and singing and dancing, but I felt like when Madonna came out and all of you were dressed up and you did that iconic performance of that song, that was the first time that the VMAs had ever sort of seen that. And then that was sort of like every year after that, that's what people did. They were just trying to make it this big ostentatious presentational performance. Did you know when you were doing that, that you were doing something special? You know, we did know, I mean, from every bit of preparation, we went to the, this costume house. I remember to look at costumes and it was like, this is like a movie costume house, mm -hmm. you know, or for, from more from movies than theater but the elaborate costumes. And then we would do like hair and makeup tests with the wigs at her house, which I have a picture of me sitting on her, like at the dining room table. My brother was with me. Um, There's a really great picture under a Keith Haring uh, painting of me with a wig on with the makeup. I mean, we did at least, we did more than one test to get it, to just get, to get our look down. Mm -hmm. um, and then all that Vince Patterson as a director. Oh my gosh. I mean, every, the cast, the direction, Madonna, where she was at w with her career and, mm -hmm. and just the way she could, her, the diva queen attitude in that song. And even the, you know, we overdubbed over the track, those fans mm -hmm. yeah. and sound effects. So it would be more effective. So every single detail, as everything was always like that working with her, there was so many details to be taken care of that that just, and, and all these artists learn from that. Mm -hmm. um, but she's still the best with the details. And um, I knew, of course, when I didn't drop my fan, <laughs> no one else did. That was really good. You know, there was so much like acting and, 
we just got into these parts and we played these parts and it was so much fun. And that we were a family. We just had, you could tell that we were like acting, but we're having so much fun at the same time with each other playing around and every little bit, like when we lifted up our skirts, when we said, Oh, let's lift up our skirts and do this, that grind. And everything was so much fun. And we felt like we all felt like we were part of it because we felt like we were all contributing. We just mm-hmm. gotten off tour. We were in, as I remember it, we were in the South of France at like a rap party. And we all were saying, okay, we want to do the, yeah, let's do the VMAs. And we were all kind of brainstorming on concepts and I remember we were like, let's do dangerous liaisons. <laughs> let's do Elizabethan. And I just remember us tossing around that idea. And then there we were a few weeks later when we got back, went into that. So it was all incredible. My daughter, Sophia, it's so funny. Like I never showed her any of the stuff from the shows or anything. At one point I was on my computer and I was, someone showed me like, I don't know, somehow that video came up and she watched it and she just could not understand that that was me. Mm-hmm. She just couldn't get it. You know, it was like, she was little. And she's like, you're one of them dancing? It was so <laughs> cute because that was the way I was all made up and everything like that. Um, it was just so cute. Well, I know I was obsessed with the performance. When, when it came out, I was watching it live. I recorded it on my VHS tape and I must have watched it and learned the choreography so many hours after that. I mean, I don't know about you, Tony, but yeah, it was, that song was on heavy rotation the entire Mm -hmm. 1990. And, and since then. Oh yeah. It's so great. You know, I remember when we, honestly, we went in to do that session and every time I'd go in to work on a Madonna record, it was like a new sound, you know? And I'm trying to think of maybe previous record we'd worked on with her. I, I don't know what it was, but, um, she had been working with a new producer. We went in and it was like, it, it was so dancey and it was so different than the other music we had done with her where it was more right off the bat, a club track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have, it just had her lead vocal on it. It didn't have the backgrounds. And I mean, those backgrounds are amazing. I got to oh, say. Yeah. Like she, I believe that she still uses those, the tape, you know, those backgrounds yes, in her live shows, <laughs> you guys. Yeah, yeah she does. Because every time I go see a show now, I'm like, that's us. <laughs> I always wonder if they're, they're still going to be using them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're iconic, you know, it's like they're, they're like horn parts, you know? Yeah. And that was India Davenport singing with us on that session. Oh, she's great from Brand New Heavies. She's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love her. It was an amazing session. So I have to say that like the whole concept was amazing and, and everything. But when I remember hearing back those vocals, the way we would like layer them, the group, like we do like two or three layers of the performance, hearing it back, I knew it was going to be huge. Mm. And there's that. My dad used to tell stories about when he worked on a hit record or he produced something how everyone in the room would just have chills. Yeah. They just knew it was going to be something really big. And it was amazing. Yeah. So I'm proud. So proud to be part of that. Not only the performance, but the record. Yeah. And, and, no, and after that, um, you guys recorded again with Shep Pettibone, uh, Rescue Me, which is a criminally underrated Madonna uh, track with some so amazing good. background vocals. 
I know. Oh my God. I got to go back and listen to that. I remember I trying to remember on, all this stuff. I heard that on the radio. They had, we came in as the song was being played and the Immaculate Collection hadn't come out yet. So we didn't know that that was an official Madonna song. And I was listening to it and I'm thinking, okay, this is a house song. So I'm in love. But I was like, the woman singing sounds awfully familiar. And it just like, to me, I, I just knew. I just knew it was because mm-hmm. hearing you and Nikki on the backup and Madonna on the lead, I was like, I just know this is Madonna. I, it has a Madonna sound to it. And I've been, obsessed, so cool. been obsessed with it ever since. And we, we were, as fans, so looking forward to hearing it. She was supposed to do it on the Madame X tour. And, oh, really? And she then, at the last minute, did a swap out. I'm not quite sure what went down or why she took it out, but it was. Yeah. She was saying that it was going to be on there, and so everyone was like elated. There was like parties in the streets. Madonna's performing "Rescue <laughs> Me" after all this time. Amen, Hallelujah! And then she she didn't, and uh, we were sort of like a little crestfallen because it was like the one song people have been waiting to hear her sing live, and we didn't. But it's okay. Wow, it's okay. So some time passed between Blonde Ambition and Reinvention. So how did you get back into the groove? Pardon the pun. <laughs> between, oh, so what year is this now? So Blonde Ambition was 1990 and then... Um, well, there was Girly Show and Drown No, there was oh, Girly then, Show. How 94. did I forget the Girly Show? Oh, it's because I, I wasn't there. <laughs> so there was 94 and then we we worked with her like on Evita... Oh, I didn't um, know. Oh, that's right. You guys did the Miami mix. How could I forget? We did a few of that. I mm-hmm. remember. I thought we did some, like some of the remixes. Yeah, you did Buenos Aires and uh, mm-hmm. Don't Cry for Me, Argentina. That's right. Right. And then when did, yeah, so we would do, and we saw her, you know, as friends and hanging out and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But she'd been doing like, I remember when she was getting ready for Evita and everything. We were all so, so happy for her because it was such a perfect role, yeah. something she wanted for so long. Um, and then I'm trying to think of what came before. Well, oh, yeah, you guys sang on survival on bedtime stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there were things like over the years, but there was that long, there was that long break in that I was doing my own, like I, I did my first indie record. So right. I was really like touring on my own. I had a cellist that was my partner and yeah, I'd been doing that like through the nineties. I went out and did another tour with me, Len Farmer, who's a French, they call her yeah, the French yeah. Madonna. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and she was amazing. I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, so then it was just great for us all to come together again. It was really amazing. You know, honestly, every time, I never knew if I was going to do another tour with Madonna. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all, you know, last party, it's like at the end, you, you, you say goodbye and you don't know when you're going to see each other again. She's really busy. You don't know what she's going to go off and do. You don't know yeah. what you're going to do. And every time I was always, of course, pleasantly surprised, but I was honestly always surprised. They'd call me and I'd be like, okay, you know, <laughs> we're still here. And Nikki and I had remained singing together and been friends and everything. So we were like a little unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really fun getting back into that again. And we did, you know what it was, was we did the promo for music. That's what I'm thinking we did before the tour. Mm-hmm. Um Remember those those concerts that we did yeah, like in London, yeah. New York? Was it just London, New York? Um, I, for me, it must have been London because like, I don't recall seeing you guys on the New York. It game. was also New York where we were like yeah. they were like hay bales and 
Um, we had a string section, live string players with us. No, they right. You did you did a promo tour for music at Roseland, and then you also did right. a show. Yeah, you did a show in London. I didn't. I right. wanted to go see the promo tour at Roseland, and I did not get to go, and I was so annoyed. Mm-hmm. No, that was an amazing event. It was just a huge party, and I still. It's so funny. I just recently pulled out a storage bunch of stuff, and I pulled out some shirts that I got from that event. Um. That I was like, I gotta wear one of these. It's cool. It's got oh, like yeah. rhinestones on it and everything. Um, yeah, that was just that was great. So that we kind of got back into it there. We did like MTV Awards, I think that year, mm-hmm. and then we, then we did the tour. Oh, we went out and did a bunch of promo. Well, I know there was her. the there was the Grammy performance that you did of music. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, yeah, I remember. I think it was around that era. I'm not quite sure when, but I remember hearing Nikki talk about how she was always so happy after you got through the deep knee squat portion of oh that song God. because <laughs> she just she hated that section and she would pray that she would just like the lord would just lift her up to get through those mm-hmm. and i just because i remember when i think madonna and you all broke out those deep knee squats for the very first time at the grammys i think that was the first like televised yeah. moment and we i think i even like gave people like a little Madonna quiz. It was like, how many times does she do deep knee squats in that performance? And it was like, yeah, it was like 17 or 20 of those. Deep I thought knee it squats. was, I thought it was 16, but it's crazy. <laughs> you guys, that performance, I, two weeks before that had gotten, it was like a windy day and I'm out hiking and a tree fell on my back. Literally. Oh, no. And I was like taken away by paramedics. They were like taping my head I mean, it was so dramatic and everything. And then I went to these hot springs to just kind of heal my body. And thank God I hadn't broken anything. And I get I get a call from Madonna's old manager. And she calls me and says, can you do the Grammys with us? And of course, I mean, my head was to one side. I was like, <laughs> felt like I just got hit by a truck. I was like, sure, yes. Mm-hmm. So I got myself together. and And I remember especially those squats after having an accident like that. And I didn't tell anyone that I had an accident Oh because I wanted to do the, I wanted to do it mm-hmm. and I thought I would be totally better. And I remember just taking a lot of ibuprofen mm-hmm. and that, it was especially hard on that performance. I remember it was really, it was really fun and the style of it was so great, but to get me through that, I remember in my, I remember loving the percussion, like Luis Conte and his son were doing the percussion they were right behind us. So I remember I needed that percussion and the drums turned up so loud. Mm-hmm. So I could, so I could like get through that, you know, do those squats and well, everything. You but never would have known you did it. You yeah. executed it flawlessly. Well, that's and, cool. And yeah, even in, in drum world, you and Nikki have some of the best riffs during music. It's like, you guys just turn the song upside down, uh, throwing in the Daft Punk and it's just, it's just magic. And we loved seeing you guys on stage again for Drowned World. And then then you con- continued to, to tour with Madonna until up until reinvention, correct? Confessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. Um, yeah. You know, Madonna and Nikki had always been, I think, more like I more first and foremost had a professional relationship with Madonna. And I think Nikki and Madonna were more had that more you know, they were, they were more friends and they had Mm -hmm. a different kind of friendship. And I don't, I don't even know what happened. I mean, I know Nikki was kind of doing her own thing and 
and everything. So they had called me and Nikki and I had just had our babies one day apart, like a year before that. So a lot had changed and, and I ended up going out and we had to find a replacement for Nikki. So, yeah. So I went out and did that. She's irreplaceable. Exactly. (laughs) And that was my, that was my whole point during when we were trying to replace her. I was Mm -hmm. just like, Oh my God, this is, you know, and I knew this is, even though I continued working on with her, mm-hmm. it's never going to be the same. Right, we're yeah. never going to be in the show the way we were because it was a chemistry thing. Yeah. But and it's it, important to note that Saida Garrett and Nikki Richards are amazing in their own right. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. And, but as far as that, um, the thing that the three of us had, mm-hmm. you know, that was just yeah. its own thing. And the directors even knew that in, in yeah. our and mm-hmm. our places in the show were different, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, I always looked at the three of you as like Madonna's little girl group for the very first time. You know, she'd been this solo artist for so many years, and then yeah. here's here's Madonna. It was like it was like Diana Ross in the Supremes. It was like that was yeah, her little exactly. moment, and yeah, and then that changed. And as I mean, I will still see on. Madonna message boards or tweets or Facebook mm-hmm. or whatever of people screaming that Nikki and Donna need to come back and perform with Madonna. Every time Madonna announces a tour, it's Nikki and Donna need to come back. And so, uh, but it was they're pl- still alive. Bring yeah, them back. A, it was a place in time. And I think, you know, like what Madonna did with the backup singers after Nikki was no longer with you, it, it sort of just, changed how she did her shows and yeah well we we became backup singers really and it was Mm -hmm. like it's so funny i used to joke on the very last tour that i did with her i used to say that like i could be drinking a bot i could be drinking champagne on our riser (laughs) like toasting nikki richards and like no one would even see (laughs) um and that's okay i mean the hard time i had with that was that we were right behind the keyboard player and his he had like a sub bass cabinet Mm. And it was really hard to hear mm. and the vibrations of the sub bass. It was, it was really challenging yeah. to be in that spot. I, I used to say to Madonna, like, can I, can you put me somewhere else where I could just hear better? And they were like, no, they just, they already designed the stage and they tried to get us moving around a little yeah. bit. But um, I remember yeah, one was- of my fondest memories of the confessions tour you did join Madonna during Lucky Star. I know. And I was I was fifth row center for Lucky Star, and it was right you and Madonna and were right in front of me. And I remember I, I winked at you, and you winked back, and I was elated. Mm. That was my that was my uh, that was so much fun because it was so like it was so celebratory and fun, and I got to like oh my gosh, I love to be out there with the fans, mm. and I lo- I like to go out and see people. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that was a really fun time. Well, that same night, yeah. I loved seeing you in Disco Inferno. I thought you were just killing it. You guys look so good, and it was it must have been so much fun. And now that I know that you're a disco dancer, it must have been oh, like yeah. you know, heavy. It was finally your time. It was your your <laughs> Saturday Night Fever moment. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. All right. No, that so. Was- that was fun. Uh, so moving along, I know after Madonna, you sort of drastically changed, you altered your music career after Just a Dream and Praying for Love. You sort of moved into creating mantra music, which we mentioned at the top of the program. What about the mantra music was more filling to you than doing stuff like Just a Dream or Praying for Love? Yeah, I had, um, back on my first record, 
they were like, I was a new artist and I was with MCA Universal and they had, they kind of blew it on my first single, which was Praying for Love mm-hmm. in the States. But I had a hit in Asia, like Southeast Asia and Japan. But here they were just kept throwing things out for me. And they're like, let's try this. Let's try a triple A radio remix. Let's try the And then they put out like the Just a Dream remix. And then that I had a top 10, I think like a Billboard dance hit on that. Yeah. And then... Then they sent me like on a tour, like just Ireland and Scotland all over the place, like playing pubs, very similar to like what Madonna did in the beginning, mm-hmm. like playing these very small clubs and everything. And I was singing to tracks, like remixes that I, I had barely heard. You know, they were like these club mixes. I just felt like I had gotten away with, gotten away from like the song and my artistry and everything. And, and I was by myself. I didn't have a group or a producer with me. And I really, honestly, you guys, I was just like, I'm, this isn't fun. Yeah. Like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? And, and how long do I have to do this for? And it, it, of course, was really hard because I had already been out with Madonna. And, you know, I, I don't know. I had had like certain expectations for myself off my first record. And, and I was kind of disappointed in that. And I, I was just like, this just... It wasn't fulfilling me. Mm-hmm. So I went back. I ended up working on another record for that record company, which I discovered world music. And I found all these really cool producers, like English producers that wanted to work with me. And I wanted to go more in that, in that vein. And the record company wasn't down with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we ended up going our own ways. And then I made my own indie record. And that was still like English, but it was more, I had always been into like, spiritual studies and philosophies and I had a certain outlook on life and and um certain like hymns like I had a version of Amazing Grace that was on that album as an album called Bliss Mm -hmm. and that was released in 2000 so that was my first indie album I got to go out and be an indie artist. And that that's where I felt I found the fulfillment of being an artist, finding my own voice, my own songs, and my own style. So I started working with a cellist. I started playing harmonium, which was like kind of it's an Indian instrument, very kind of meditative, used in India to play Mm -hmm. devotional music. Mm -hmm. So I think it's because of also because of working with the cello and more world music and playing this harmonium. I somehow ended up like a lot of artists that were friends of mine started chanting in LA and I started going to like parties and we would chant and um, they would, they would chant and do like concerts and I'd go sing with them and everything. And there were certain chants that I really loved and I started like putting them in my pop songs. And I have this song on and on that I used to do this chant Ganapati Om in the middle of that song. And the, from taking yoga class and studying, mm-hmm. learning about some of these mantras, I, I knew that it was, it, uh, the meaning of it was re- re- removing obstacles and removing the obstacle of your mind. And, and I always loved that because I thought when I'm singing, like I really want to get lost and I want to be in this more transcendent kind of place. I don't want to be like witnessing myself so much being self-conscious. Yeah. I want to kind of set that intention that I want my mind to be free 
And I just loved these. I loved the meanings and how it felt to chant the mantras. Mm -hmm. And so pretty soon I was like just there with my harmonium and I would, I'd be like, I'll just make a song out of a mantra. So now at that time, this actual record company came to me who was um, kind of out of Kundalini yoga scene. And they gave me a record deal and said, will you make a record of just mantras? And I honestly, like I knew like two mantras and and I thought, well, I don't really know that many, but I mean, I can, I'll try. Mm-hmm. And, and then I thought, well, I also sing in English. So, so my whole thing, as far as like the mantra music that had been going on at that time, like, I don't think anyone was singing mantras and English. Like no. I just naturally did that. And, and so I have this song, Hey Madurga, which was another, one of the first mantras that I learned, um, which was a prayer to divine mother divine mother energy, which I feel has many names. This is one name. Um, and even in Hinduism, there's many, many names. And mm-hmm. this is one of the names and the energy that this, by chanting this mantra, you're asking for this strength and this energy of the mother and embodying these qualities that really resonated with me because I had just become a single mom mm-hmm. and I was really trying to like t- turn, you know, I was really scared of being able to still be an artist and being a single mom and everything. But chanting this mantra, I felt like this was bringing me strength. And, and then this whole concept of always trying to see through the illusion to the truth, you know, that's in a lot of the mantras and a lot of the philosophies that are, that come from India and from, from Hinduism, Buddhism, a lot of Eastern philosophies. Yeah. So I really, you know, I always resonated with that since I was a teenager and I read a lot of, um, books. I had always been studying those um, kind of spiritual principles. So it was very natural that, you know, I started doing that. I made that record and it just flowed. I mean, I remember putting vocals down. It was so easy. Like it, it was different. And when I would sing, I wasn't like, I was in this different kind of ambient place that was more kind of definitely transcendent. And I wasn't, it's almost like I couldn't, I wasn't singing anymore. I wasn't mm-hmm. the one singing. I was just, it was just happening and I was witnessing it. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I remember singing vocals where I felt that I had that feeling. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what I noticed when I saw you perform this music at Joe's pub several years ago. And I thought, wow, her, you know, hearing her, you know, sing on all these Madonna tracks and, you know, her solo work from before, but it, your voice translates in a way that, I didn't expect there was so much truth and conviction, but it also seemed like, yeah, like you were channeling something, you know, and um, it was, it was a really, really powerful night. I did not know what was going to happen. And I came out with like this new appreciation for this kind of music. And, and, you know, I love that you keep putting out this content and um, like, you know, I was going to mention that, you know, you started out working with uh, Belinda Carlisle on a couple of her, you know, earlier solo albums and now Belinda is doing this type of music too. She lives in India and I know that you guys did a gig recently. Um, Tell us about that for a full circle moment because it must have been really powerful. Oh my gosh. This is, you know, this is a huge full circle moment and, you know, I'd worked with her 
And I've been part of some of her huge records mm-hmm. and, and a big tour for her. I can hear you on all the songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in the studio, you know, I used to joke around that like we, I was in, I might've been in the studio longer, more than her because we would like with the producer, Rick Knowles, we would mm-hmm. record these vocals. We would record so many vocals and then he'd be like, oh, we're going to throw all those out and start again. We were going to do different parts because he knew that those backgrounds were, were such a big part of the song making the hits Mm -hmm. and we were there while he was arranging and everything. So, um, I spent hours and hours and hours in the studio on those and I was, I was proud of it. It was amazing. Went on tour with her. You know, we, we, there was a girl's bus and a, and a boy's bus, girls and guys bus. Um, and Becca Bramlett and I, the other singer ended up on the guys bus with the Mm -hmm. band and she was on the bus. Belinda was on the bus with her, her entourage, like her makeup and hair, her stylist and everything. And so we were like hanging with the band and she was with her, her entourage. So I didn't get to like hang out with her so much, right? you know? And so we weren't like buddy buddies. Um, but, you know, as you guys know, in that movie, I had, <laughs> I had like imitated her, right? Right. <laughs> she didn't know. Well, no, what she didn't know and nobody knew is that like when, when I grew up, I loved Stevie Nicks and I used to imitate Stevie Nicks by somebody hitting my back. And I used to say, stand back, stand back like that. And I loved Stevie Nicks. Like I wasn't putting her down. I was just no. trying to sound like her. And it was funny. And we used to do this like tiny tent. Anyway, it was just something we did as a joke as a kid. Mm-hmm. So when I did that and the way it came off in the movie, I always felt really bad about that. You know, because I don't mean to like, I, I, Belinda was not a great friend, but I mean, she was a friend. I don't mean to talk bad about her. I didn't want to talk bad about anybody or make anyone feel bad. Right. But at that time I was like, oh, we were both on the same label. I think I got signed (laughs) to MCA universal. Right. Oh my God. So that was also probably part of it. So I was out. I had been out like doing my, my tour and I heard that she was offended and everything like that. And I didn't ever get the chance to talk to her, you know, and all those years went by and everything. So, you know, whatever years go by, you forget about it. And, but I always inside, you know, I always wanted to tell her the truth about that and that I always loved her and I admire her voice and everything. So my brother is like waitering at basics at a, um, place in West Hollywood Mm -hmm. on Santa Monica Boulevard. And she came in with her son and my brother said to her, this is not that long ago, like two, three years ago or something. He said, you know, you know, my my sister, Donna Delory. And Belinda said to him, Oh my gosh, Donna, I love Donna. And Belinda told him that she's really into my mantra music. Oh, wow. And she said, oh, my gosh, I'm such a fan of her music now that she's doing because I that's all I listen to and that's the music I really love. And then that must have been the time when she was coming out with her mantra record, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we, I ended up getting in touch with her and we have, like, this reunion. Like, it was so sweet. I wanted her to come and sing on on. Uh, Kundalini mantra that I was recording, she came and, and sang on that, and then I was like part of some of her events. We've we basically been collaborating, and oh, awesome. it's been so beautiful. And we did this we did this video. I cannot say enough great things about her, the woman, this beautiful 
woman that she's always been and she's really Mm -hmm. become more and more her self-realized, you know, just her whole being. Yeah. Um, I really love her. And I could tell by the, when we first got on the phone and talked after all those years, it was so beautiful. And you guys know from like years and years of relationship, relationships with people, it's so satisfying to yeah. reconnect with someone. And, and it was so nice that like she'd become a fan of my music. And I, and I said, well, and she's really into Kundalini yoga and everything. And, and that we could collaborate. And I brought up that idea to her, we could collaborate. And she was really into it. So that was beautiful that we're like on the same path. Mm-hmm. And we recently got to, we did a, a shoot for the video. And I gotta tell you, this is so sweet. We were, it was just this beautiful moment. We were talking a lot about our lives and everything in the dressing room. And I looked in her eyes and, and she's just so beautiful. I just said to her, you know, I've always wanted to tell you that I was really sorry for that, for hurting you at all by, by that imitation in the movie. You know, I don't even know if I even explained it that much, but she knew what I was talking yeah. about. And she goes, and of course she was like, Oh Donna, that was so long ago and everything. And I looked her, <laughs> and I looked her in the eyes and I just said, you know, I really love you. And I really love your voice. And I always have, mm-hmm. and I really respect you and just know that I love your voice and, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate yeah. you. And thank you so much for being in my life and everything. It was a beautiful moment. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I mean. That I, we don't always get to have that with people. No. And um, that was really important. And, and so and she's just a, she's just a great person. And, and mm-hmm. I'm really happy to have her in my life now. And, um, you know, that, I always love following her and seeing where she's at and everything and all the I things know, she I know she is quite the globetrotter, but yeah, it, it's amazing. I loved hearing the story. I, have loved Belinda since day one that her voice just speaks to me. In her a way voice. That, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, she, we better watch it or this is going to become a Belinda Carlisle podcast. You know? <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. You can edit But anyway, just telling you about, and I know that like, just everyone can relate to that. Yeah. You know, you always want to have that moment with someone that you might've had a falling out with or, or maybe you don't feel quite, that just perfect about your last communication or something. Yeah. It, I never, important. I never thought that you were throwing shade at Belinda Carlisle at that moment in truth or dare. Any yeah, more, I didn't either because any, I knew that any you more had than, any more than Madonna was throwing shade at Oprah when you guys went to <laughs> Chicago and, uh, and Madonna was on the Oprah show. So they made up too. See? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just the way it was edited. And you know what? I didn't really think that much either, except when I was on a promo tour and I heard Belinda had said some things that how much I hurt her and everything. Mm-hmm. Like I, she thought I was her friend. So it was one of those things where you, you need to, um, you just need to let somebody know how much you appreciate them. Yeah. And, and how much, I was just so grateful that she was like joining me in the project and <clears throat> we didn't get to finish the video because we're like on lockdown now. And um, Nick Spanos is, is uh, directing it and we have beautiful shots. So I hope that that is going to come out as soon as we can finish it. Um, and she's a big part of it. And then I'm helping her with her, her, some of her organizations and things. And, and, uh, you know, I'm so excited to, do- to, to see what happens with you and Belinda's collaboration. And please tell yeah. us everything about your upcoming project and your new single that is releasing today. Yeah. So 
Diamonds in the Sun. Now, this is speaking of, you know, like music for yoga mm -hmm. and mantras and everything. Ten years ago, pretty much to the day, a version of this song called Diamonds in the Sun came out by a friend of mine named Gurish, who's another mantra artist. He's a really great songwriter. Uh, one of my favorite artists in that genre He's been a friend of mine. He's actually played tablas on all my records mm -hmm. and I've sung on his records. So he asked me to sing on this song and it's uh, the, the chorus is in English, but then he uses a uh, mantra, which is a peace prayer called the mantra is Loka Samasta Suki no Bhavantu. Mm -hmm. And that's may all beings be happy and free. May my, uh, may it's kind of like, May my actions and my words and my thoughts contribute to this happiness and peace for all. It's just a beautiful mantra, which is really powerful, especially now. Um, and then it goes to this hook, uh, Diamonds in the Sun chorus. This song has like always been with me. I love, I love the chorus. I always wanted, I thought, I want to do a version of that myself because I'm I'm featured on his version mm -hmm. and his version is done really well. It's like a yoga hit, you know, on Spotify, it's had millions of listens. And um, so I finally figured out an arrangement and I said, well, can I kind of rewrite this and add some of my own parts? And so I, I added a verse that's English verse and a bridge and make it maybe more into a more like a pop song, mm -hmm. but it still has the mantra in it. And it's my kind of pop song. Mm -hmm. so um i just recorded it with my guys it's very acoustic and we're working on a remix now but i love the message of the song and it's just saying um it says the meaning of the mantra and the mantra's in there a bit and and then i added the words to it <clears throat> it says we shine like diamonds in the sun every one of us every one of us shines mm -hmm. we shine with every color of one spectrum one beautiful light and, and that's how I feel. And that we're all beautiful. We're just all beautiful colors of this one light. And, and this, it's, no, I was going to say that's such an important message for right now when we all feel united by this, you know, this single thread, you know, just, you know, being in quarantine and, and, you know, we're, yeah, we're all one in the same. We're all united. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. It's that message. And, we are one. We are one. If that's your mantra, great. Yeah. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. We all need to just keep repeating that. And remember, no matter who it is and who you're uh, you're upset with or you feel angry towards, or you have to try to find that peace and knowing this, that we're all, this person's a reflection of myself. And I ultimately have to wish this person peace. And I have to... I have to have good thoughts and yeah. tor towards everyone. And I have to have, have acceptance and ultimately love in my heart. Um, so we have to, you know, I feel like just listen to, you know, it is important to listen to positive music that uplifts us. Mm -hmm. and, and I love like that. We go back to bright light, bright light, the message of his song. It's yeah. got a similar message and wanting to just, wanting people to feel how important they are and how special they are. Yeah. Rod, Rod mentioned something similar that, you know, he didn't write the song with the intention for it to hit the way that it does 
now when you hear it, you know, because of what's happening in the world. And, and he says even more so with his album that's coming out in the fall. So I'm, I'm excited for all these acts, you know, happy accidents. And, um, we're also really excited that we're going to play diamonds in the sun, um, at the end of the podcast so everyone can hear it and you guys go out and download it and buy it and, you know, look out for those remixes. Cause, um, I'm going to do that. For yeah, sure. are we gonna are we gonna be getting some more Donna Delory house house stylings in the in the near oh future? Oh my gosh, I gotta get. You know, I was try I was talking to Tracy Young about doing a remix for oh. Nikki and Donna, and you know maybe get her to do something. Um, I love house music. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a matter of just finding those collaborations with the remixers yeah. that are really good at that. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have some suggestions, yeah, um, yeah, I'm totally. Let's put that, that project with Tracy Young out into the universe because I think yeah, seriously, that would happen. be fantastic. I mean, um, it would be great for her to do this. This song could be really good, and she can find some different hooks and add her own thing. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, I'd love to collaborate with her. And your uh, album? Do you know when your album is meant to come out, or has coronavirus sort of thrown a wrench into that that sort of schedule? Because I know you said you were. I, planning to go to New York to mix and I know. And we're not doing that now. Now I'm like, who's mixing it. Um, so hopefully I wanted the EP to come out like in, you know, spring, early summer. So that's going to be delayed a little bit. And then I'll get the remixes out, you know, they're pretty much all done. So that'll come out as soon as we, you know, we got to finish the artwork and put that Mm -hmm. on the schedule. And then the meditation album, I want to have it out definitely want to have it out before like Grammy submissions because I want to submit it for Grammy for a new age category. And that's something I'm, I'd love to love to get that. So that would be amazing. Um, So that's like late August and September. And, Oh, I I just love collaborating with DJs and especially now I've been reaching out to people I hear on Spotify on playlists and I'm like, you got any tracks? Send them to me. I can put Mm -hmm. vocals on them and send them back to you. Uh, Isn't isn't it great how the music industry has changed where you don't really have to depend on anyone anymore? You can just go out and do it, you know? I love it. I love it. I mean, why not? You could just mm -hmm. take someone's track and put some vocals on it and send it to them and say, do you you approve of this? Can we, can we split this as a copyright and I can, you know, let's put it out as a different thing, different piece of work. And, you know, do you know the artist Joseph Arthur? You guys know him? I know that name. I can't put a, a name to a sound, but I, I know that name for sure. So I recorded his song called In the Sun. Mm-hmm. And this was like one of the first, you know, I felt like it was more of kind of devotional in nature, although he's an alternative artist and it was an alternative rock song. And I heard it and the chorus says, may God's love be with you always. May God's love be with you always. And that's become like one of my top songs. Um, and I, as I always do when I cover a song, I changed it a lot and I made it, I, I kind of made it my own style. It's not rock, you know, it's a little more worldly and it has the cello and the harmonium in it. Mm-hmm. But I recently had like posted an old clip of me doing it and he commented on it. And then I start following him on Instagram and he's such a prolific songwriter. He's a New Yorker. You know, I, I've just been like getting really into his artistry lately and and his voice, like he's been posting all these like acoustic songs where he's singing, of course, as we all are. Yeah. And I love, I've always loved the sound of his voice. So I just sent him one of my chant tracks, one of the mantras. And I was like, oh my gosh, will you sing on this? So it was kind of, cause he's actually into yoga and mantras too. 
So it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And and I got a really good reaction from him. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, I got to get to this. And uh, I'd love to and everything. So it's really fun. Why not? Yeah, why not? Everybody, if you guys have ideas, don't hold back. Reach out to people, especially now. Mm -hmm. Message people. It's a great time. Everyone's stuck inside. We're stuck inside. (laughs) and, And, you know, and it's such everyone, we all have this creative uh, part of us mm-hmm. that maybe we had it when we were a kid and we went, we went away from it. We can get back to it. So yeah. it might be writing a journal every day and writing little, drawing little pictures in your journal or making music or doing some editing on your computer, but it's such a great time to explore. It's an opportunity to go back to that part of yourself. Definitely. So I hope everyone is doing that. And then share your work. Yeah. Share to inspire more people. And it'll just be a ripple effect. And nothing wrong with binging on Netflix and everything, but we have so much time yeah. that maybe we can we can spend some of that time getting back to that part of ourselves, drawing and you know, doing some art and doing projects and Yes, I had um, my I had my creative fix before we decided to before we podcasted today. My niece is turning five, and I had to do a Hello Kitty birthday cake for her. So, <laughs> oh, uh, that's that, so that, cute. That was my. I, let me tell you, I have a new appreciation for people who do big cakes because just doing a stencil of Hello Kitty was my hand was trembling. <laughs> I was like, Oh my god, I'm not going to be able to do this. And the pressure of it. (laughs) I'm like, she's she's going to hate it. Yeah, she's going to hate this, but I think it looks okay. Yeah, but then before you know it, you finished and you've had a meditative moment and uh, all is well in the world. Centered or had some tea and all is well. Where's the cake now? Yeah, where's the cake? It's protected under a Tupperware container so no (laughs) no one can trash it. Okay, we'll take a good picture of it. Mm-hmm. We're doing we're doing the uh, those new birthday parties where you just drive by and have balloons outside of the car and you wave because oh my that sweet? So, oh. social distancing. You're not allowed to sort of congregate around them. So not quite sure how we're getting the cake to her, but um, yes, it's a you drive by and honk your horn and roll down your windows and wave and that's the new birthday. I love party. that. Well. Yeah. That's hey, sweet. My my teenage daughter did that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, Stefan, it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. You have to tell uh, Donna all about it. Yes. So, Donna, I think I had given you a heads up. We, we always do a lightning round of questions with our guests. And mm-hmm. um, it's just where you're at currently right now doesn't have to be that this is where you're at forever, but it's just off the top of your head without sort of thinking too much on it. So uh, mm-hmm. they, they are Madonna-related questions. Uh but um, so you, you should you should be a, a, a pro at this. Um, other than the video that you're in, what's your favorite Madonna video? Wow! Oh my gosh! Um, okay, I'm gonna say music. That just comes to the oh. Okay. They're all so amazing, but. Well, that one's fun. I love. I, yeah, I, and Nikki's in and it. Nick, so, Nikki's yeah. in it. So I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do you, all right. So, out of concerts or photo shoots or videos, do you have a favorite Madonna look that she's done? You know, I love her more natural look. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that. Like you were saying, that 2000 when we did those promo shows, 
after she had just had Rocco mm-hmm. and like around music yeah. that time. And, and like for don't tell me, like, oh, I love the country look such a good look. and all that. Yeah. I just like her. I always loved her. And, and even like when I see her natural hair color too. Yeah. I like that. I always, I see pictures of her from that time. She's her, she was had a little more weight on her and she was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She looked great. Uh, this is a specific Madonna lightning round question for you, since you actually were able to perform with Madonna. Uh, do you have a favorite number that you performed with Madonna, either on tour or an award show? Oh, well, it's a toss up between keep it together for, um, one ambition yeah. mm-hmm. that you guys, they were all so amazing. It's mm-hmm. so hard, but I remember the feel, the feeling of that. We were talking about the family vibe and everything. And then of course the, Iconic performance at the MTV Awards for mm-hmm. Vogue. Yeah. Well, and those two I are mean, totally different vibes as well. Yeah. I, I mean, know. We have to mention Rain in the girly show. That was amazing. I know. You guys, Rain, and we got to plug, yeah, plug yeah. The, our version of it too. Yeah. I yeah that, you guys that haven't downloaded so it. so good. Nikki and Donna do uh, an acoustic version of Rain, but then there's also remixes, and it's all good. Like, I play the whole thing from beginning to end, and I'm like, I need more. And then seeing them perform it live is even even better. Yeah, yeah it was beautiful. It was super special. Yeah, we really made that song our own, and mm-hmm. now it's it's super yeah. fun. We'll it belongs to you now. <laughs> Why not? Uh, one last not? question: Do you still have your blonde ambition tour jacket? I do. You, the one with the crown, right? Yes. Well, yes. we're just we're just curious who still has all of those yeah. momentum. We those asked m- Lewis and we asked Kevin, and they seem yeah, to have lost track of Yeah, I definitely do. <laughs> they did. You know, I thought I had because I was using it unfortunately as a ski jacket for a long time (laughs) and so i totally wore it out like what was i thinking you know i'm like this is going to be like a you know yeah you know an an item oh yeah i know if you ever fall on hard you fall on hard times or you need something to support a an upcoming record launch or whatnot that jacket on ebay will probably help you (laughs) right nikki and i were talking about that we're like we could always it's so funny because yeah. I mean, we have a lot of pieces from those tours and everything. So nobody feel bad if we ever do sell anything to raise money for our own music. Mm-hmm. And then you guys get to have a really special piece. Um, we have other pieces and, and it's, <laughs> you know, we have a lot. And, you know, sometimes you got to travel a little lighter in this world anyway. So, yeah. Marie, uh, Marie Kondo, your life, you know, what, what doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it. Yeah, I feel like honestly, we've been like it's been raining here and we've been in quarantine. When the sun comes out and we're like out, everything's coming out of my house. It's going to be like, <laughs> do, does this, you know, does this serve me? Does this bring me pleasure? Yes yeah. or no? Well, uh, I know no. Tony will be willing to buy the causing a commotion uh, Jean Paul Gaultier jacket that you guys wore in Blonde Ambition. He will buy that oh, off I of you in a heartbeat. Kidding. Although I was, you know, I've, I don't think I have that, you guys. I gave that away. 
Not to me. <laughs> Is that unbelievable? You guys, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. How I used to like give everything to all my friends and now I'm like, oh, come on. Well, it just goes to show you what kind of a person you are. You're very loving and generous. And we thank you so much for, you know, sharing this moment with us and, you know, telling us these stories and, you know, sharing your voice as well. Um, we're going to close the show out with um, Diamonds in the Sun, but um yeah, we just wanted to say thank you, Donna. Thank yes, you so thank much. you. If if you haven't, go and support Donna. You can help support artists by streaming their music on Spotify. Stream, 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 stream. Yep. She's also featured on Bright Light, Bright Light. You, uh, this was my You've house. got all the time in the world now, so stream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everyone is. I know they already are, but yeah, there's a. It's such a great, yeah, it's a great opportunity to, to just fill, fill your life with a yeah uplifting, beautiful music that that helps you. Also, as a tool, music is a tool to get you into that good frame of mind and and keep you positive and hopeful. Yeah, and um, keep you feeling united with everyone because we all are one in this. And and I pray that we choose love and not fear. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things that were considered normal before this are not going to be normal anymore. And I take full faith in that. And I hope the best for everyone, you know? Yes, absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening. I'm always uh, happy to share these stories and my experiences with you. The, my whole time with Madonna is, um, it's just golden in my golden memories for me. And I have just nothing but great things to say about the whole experience. And I'm always happy to share, to share thoughts about it. So yeah, we thank you so much for, for doing it. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we want to thank our listeners too, um, for choosing to listen to us during this time. I mean, uh, you have your, you know, plethora of things to choose from, but you're choosing to listen to us. And we have been loving putting out new episodes every week. Um, it's helped us as much as it's helped you. So Keep listening. Follow us on all social media at MLVC Podcast on Instagram. MLVCPodcast.com is our website. And um, yeah, um, we'll see you guys next week. And we're going to close out with Donna Delore, Diamonds in the Sun. Listen to this song and then go out and make it your own. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Donna. All right. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you so much. We shine. And we shine, and we shine Look up, summer star Sugino, Pavantu Look up, summer star Sugino, Pavantu Soul has the right to know.
Yeah. 